Welcome to the Global Mission Sync Podcast. This week's episode features Trevor Sunbo. My topic tonight is, the battle is not ours, the battle is the Lord's. This idea, or this concept, or this truth, is familiar to us. We sing about it. We talk about it once in a while. We hear teaching on it from time to time. We are familiar with it. So potentially, possibly, this will just be a refresher for you. For me, I understand this to a point. I understand it from a conceptual standpoint, I think. The question the Lord had for me as I was looking at it and and reviewing it and trying to study it a bit, do I demonstrate it in my life? Do I walk in it? Have I grasped? the truth of it. And if I'm honest with you, the answer is, I don't think so. I don't think so. So that is my starting point. The truth is there. We're familiar with it. And I'll speak for myself. I want you to say it's a powerful truth. And I have not grasped it. So with the help of the Holy Spirit this mo- or this evening, I would like us to understand this better, that we can take it and apply it in our real life. Um, my kids taught me something, Hudson and Natalia taught me something when they were much younger. They were in elementary school. And um, Natalia's not here today, so do you want to hear something funny? So... A few weeks ago, Natalia said to me, Hey, Dad, are you going to be speaking at camp? I said, I don't know, probably not. Here I am. Um, and she said, work me in. I'm like, work you in? Like, what, 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 like, what work you in? What, what do you mean? Like, well, well, if you're, if you give a message, work me into it. I said, okay. Okay, so how come? Why do you want me to work you into it? She said, it's kind of sweet. She said, I don't want people to forget about me. So I said, okay, what do you want me to say? Well, she said, you know, tell everybody I'm working so hard, I can't make it to camp. So I said, Natalia, you know, at least give me something people are going to believe. <laughs> so Natalia can't, Natalia couldn't make it tonight. Or this week, she couldn't make it. Um, but when they were young, they had this phrase, and the, the phrase was this. It was, for real life. For real life. And so you know how kids, they go to school and they talk to their friends, and, and they come back and they tell you stuff. And it's like, yeah, that doesn't, that, Candace and I come, and we, that doesn't sound right. And they look at Candace and I and they said, for real life. I said, mm, for real life, Dad. For real life. Okay, it must be true then, right? So that phrase, I liked it. I've remembered it because our walk with the Lord is not a conceptual or theoretical abstract. It can't be. 
It, 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 it helps us in our day-to-day lives. You know, if you go through the New Testament and read the account of Christ, it's day-to-day. It's real life. You know, the woman with the issue of blood that pressed through the throngs of people to touch the hem of his garment, it was real for her. The criminal who was nailed to the cross next to Christ, to whom Christ said, Today you shall be with me in paradise. It was real to him, and it is real to us. Praise the Lord. I'm, I'm going to give you some scripture references here that I'm not going to get to. Okay? How, am I talking too fast? Okay. Okay. I'm taking that as no, you're not talking too fast. Okay. So, I'm, I'm not going to get to these, but I want to give them to you in case you want to study this topic at, at your leisure. So, Second Chronicles 32, verses 1 to 22. Hezekiah. That's the account of Hezekiah. 1 Samuel 17, verses 1 to 50. David and Goliath. Now I'm talking too fast? Is that what I heard? Okay. Okay. I'm going to go over the scriptures again. Second Chronicles 32, 1 to 22. First Samuel 17, 1 to 50. Second Chronicles 20, 1 to 24. That's about Jehoshaphat and Judah. Matthew 26, verses 36 to 43. That's Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. That might be be the greatest battle that's ever been fought. Also, I'm going to refer you to the Sharon Star article. And I'll, I'm going I'm to refer to it more as I move along here tonight. But it's the May-June 2015 Sharon Star called How to Hear the Voice of God by Brother Andy Snoke. This message that I'm going to give you tonight is incomplete without you finding that article and reading it. Okay, it's, it's, it's incomplete. So that, that is a must read. Today we will be reviewing the account of Gideon in Judges 6 and Judges 7 from the, from the, from the perspective of the battle is not ours, the battle is the Lord's. That's the lens we're going to put on it. I suppose we all have battles that we are facing. Health, spiritual, financial, work, family, relationship, fear, anxiety, a multitude of others. I would like you to be considering these things tonight as we walk through this. I've had several conversations at camp so far this week, and I can point to several people that have a battle that they are facing. So I expect it's relevant for all of us. 
So I've sort of, when I, when I reviewed this, I've sort of, this is how I'm looking at it. I, I, I'm, you'll have to take it and fit it to the how you think of it too, but I've kind of broken it up into steps. Okay? So step one. We need to recognize or acknowledge that it is not our battle. That the Lord our God will fight our battles, our difficulty, our challenge, our mountain, our fiery furnace, our valley are not ours to fight. Interestingly enough, we still go through them, but it is not our fight. This is not easy for me to grasp. We still go through the experience. We are participants of whatever it is, but the battle is not ours. My mind has a hard time grasping this. Your challenges and difficulties are different than mine, whether your battle is big, whether it's small. This truth remains the same. The Lord our God is not limited in his love, in his power, or in his authority. Deuteronomy 20, 1 to 4. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see the horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So it shall be. When you are on the verge of battle, that the priest shall approach and speak to the people, and he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint, do not be afraid, and do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. This portion of scripture is a general statement. Israel at that point is not facing a battle, but it's written from the standpoint in the future, whenever you come into a battle, it's not yours, it's mine. Do not be afraid. Do not tremble. Do not be overwhelmed. Do not be terrified. The Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies. Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles 32 and 8. I won't read that one. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So you're probably wondering right now, I thought this guy was going to be talking about Gideon. Starting now. So, step two. God needs to hear our sincere Plea, request, or cry for help. Once we acknowledge or recognize that it's not our battle, he needs to hear our cry. Judges 6, 
1 to 10. This is getting into Gideon now. So this is, this is the state the children of Israel were in at this time. Okay? Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the land of Midian for seven years. The hand of Midian. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds, which are in the mountains. They were hiding from them. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, and leave no sustenance for Israel neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, and brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you, and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And it goes on to say, but you have not obeyed my voice. Here we see the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord with a sincere heart. And he responds. He always responds to a sincere cry of his people. This is very similar to the account that we read in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, when the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord because of the bondage in Egypt. God heard their cry. He sent a prophet to let them know that he heard their cry, and he set in motion their deliverance. They aren't delivered yet, but it was set in motion when he heard their cry. You know, I think of it like this. They battled on their own for seven years. The best thinking of the minds of the men and women, they tried everything they could. And then when they had no other option, they had no other choice, they cried out unto the Lord, And he heard them, and he set in motion their deliverance. If we don't want it to be our battle, we must cry out unto the Lord with a sincere heart. Step three. How am I doing? Am I talking too fast? I see, I see a thumb, one thumbs up, so I'm good then. 
Step three, humility. God needs to see a measure, a significant measure, I'll say, of humility in us. Tied to that, closely tied to that, would be God needs for us to have a heart that he can work with. Okay? So Judges 6, 11 to 22. Just continuing on. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in opera, which belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Like, I don't have time to talk too much about this here. But they're hiding in the wine press. And the Lord sees Gideon. And he says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. God does not see Gideon the way Gideon sees himself. God does not see us. God does not see me. God does not see you the way you may see yourself. God looks at it through his lens, not ours. And Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, and this is a fair question, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. You see, the Lord doesn't even answer his question, right? He says, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, This is Gideon. Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the, I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Verse 17, then he said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray. He's talking, speaking to the angel of the Lord now. Do not depart from me, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. That's the angel of the Lord saying. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour, the meat he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. 
Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. You know, this is, I find this interesting. After Israel cries out to the Lord, what is the first thing God does? First thing he does, he goes searching. I don't exactly know how God would do this, but so I'm, I'm speculating here. He goes, he scours through all of Israel. Can he find someone that he can work with? Can he find someone that I can work with? And in verse 15, we see Gideon saying, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. If you read the account of Jehoshaphat and Judah in Second Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat expresses that humility differently. Okay? Says different words. When the, when the neighboring countries are coming, the armies are coming against Judah, Jehoshaphat says it this way. He says, Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Somehow, some way, we must come to that same place as Gideon came, to that same place as Jehoshaphat came. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We don't know where to go. We can't do it on our own. We need your help. We have to come to that same place. One of my favorite verses, remember I said before that closely tied to this is having a heart that God can work with? So I, I think I can say that Gideon must have had a heart that God could work with. And one of my favorite verses in the scriptures in 1 Samuel 16 and 7 it's the account where um, Samuel goes to Jesse's family because God has indicated that the next king of Israel will be from that family. And his brothers, they present them before Samuel, and they presented one of the brothers before Samuel. And even Samuel said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And here's God's response. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, Because I have refused him, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God's plan here is now set in motion. His people cried out unto him, he heard them.
How many people does God need to start with? How many people? Hundreds? Thousands? One. One person that he can work with. Let that person be me and let it be you. And from those of you from small local assemblies, this is a good thing to keep in mind. Front of mind. Verses 17 to 22. I just want to raise a point here about confirmation, okay? And Brother Andy's article does a very good job on this. But verses 17 to 22 is Gideon essentially... He believes he hears the voice of the Lord, the angel of the Lord. But he's looking for confirmation. Is this really God's voice? It's not how he got the confirmation that's important here. It's that Gideon wanted to make sure that he was hearing God's voice. Wanted to make sure. If it is the Lord's battle, the minds of men and women have no place in it. The arm of flesh, the reasoning and the thinking of our natural minds has no place. If the battle is the Lord's, it must be handled by the Lord. The Lord fights, not us. I know it's hard for us, right? It's hard for me to, to, to grasp it, but yet it's true. Just because I can't grasp something doesn't mean it's not true, right? Step four, if you're taking notes. Removing that which is not pleasing in God's sight. Judges 6, 25 to 27. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of it, on top of this rock, in the proper in the proper arrangement and take the second bull and an, and an offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down so Gideon took 10 men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. He still did it, but he did it by night. Let me just pause here for a moment. In this account, God needed to remove the evil altar. He needed to remove that which represented evil. God will not compete with that. 
He will not. I'm not saying you have evil things in your life. But what I am saying is all of us have, th- have at times have things in our life that are not pleasing unto him. And God says remove them. Slice it off. If Gideon would have said here, can't do that. This whole plan stops. God's whole plan that he has set in motion stops. And God finds another way to get it done, I suppose, or he raises up someone else. God will not compete with that which is not pleasing in his sight. He will not. In this case, he will not compete with that which represents evil. It must be destroyed. We can sort of we can sort of see God here now. Like I'm, 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 you know, I don't like to, to pre- presume what God is thinking. <laughs> um, but it says, okay, Israel has cried out to me. Gideon is someone I can work with. I need to let Israel know that I, I will no have no e- I'll have no evil in the house. Nothing that represents evil is going to stand. I've got to destroy this altar to Baal. Will Gideon be obedient to me? Will he do what I ask him to do? Will he do it? Turns out he did. First test. God's first test for Gideon. Will he be obedient to do something that probably he really doesn't want to do? Again, in Judges 6, 36 to 40, I won't read it, but Gideon again looks for confirmation. Is he really hearing the voice of the Lord, that the Lord will save Israel? This is the account of laying down the fleece, you know, the fleece, and it was wet everywhere but the fleece, and then only the fleece was wet and the ground around wasn't. And that's not the important part, of, at least for what I'm saying today. That's not the important part. The important part of this is that Gideon again wants confirmation that he is on the right track. That he is in line with God's voice. And he gets confirmation again. Step five. Obedience. We've already had a preview of that in the previous chapter. This is Judges chapter 7, 1 to 8. Then Gideon and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the wall of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. So I think they called all the... the um, Israel soldiers together prior to this. So they're all standing there or in the camp. 
And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let them turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them there for you. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall, shall go with you. And whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So all the 10,000 came down to the river, and he asked them all to take a drink. And those that, that the scripture says, put their head in the water and, and lapped water like a dog, there was 9,700 of those. And then 300 knelt beside the, the water, cupped it in their hands, and, and drank. So God says to Gideon, send the 9,700 home. This is not Gideon's battle. This is God's battle. Gideon is there to take instruction and to obey. To stand in that place and do what God asks him to do. God stands in control, not Gideon. We saw Gideon's example of obedience in the previous chapter. We see it again here. God says, send 22,000 home. Gideon sends 22,000 home. God says, send 9,700 home. Gideon sends 9,700 home. Can you imagine if you're Gideon? Opportunity here for Gideon to, his own mind, his own thinking, had plenty of opportunity to protest. He does not. He is steadfast. They're going to battle with 300 men. Started with one, went to 32,000, came back to 300. I like the one part of this that's good for us to, to remember. In no way does God want to ever take the chance where he does something and we somehow claim it as our own. That will, God will, will, that will never happen. God will not, not be in the place where he risks his hand moving and Trevor somehow taking credit for himself. Judges 9, sorry, Judges 7, 9 to 14. And it happened the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, 
Go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with his servant to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. And the camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it, so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. So this is the third time, the third time that the Lord gives confirmation to Gideon, you're on the right track. I will save Israel. The third time in this account. I won't say it. Because you've got to read Brother Andy's article. Okay? That, that, that Sharon Star, this is why I'm saying that Sharon Star, this is not complete without reading that. It's important for us to get confirmation so we know we are hearing the voice of the Lord and not our own thinking. And it happens three times in this account. And God isn't upset by that. He isn't upset by that. So I have a step six here, but it's not really a step six. It's it, this this step. You put a, if you're taking notes, put a question mark beside step six, okay? Be, because it's it's woven through it all. But I just I just been talking about it here. So step six question mark. Yielding. The decision making to the Lord. God is the decision maker, not me. As I was do, preparing this and going through it, this is the one, the most important truth that the Lord showed me as I was going through Gideon and going through preparing this. I have not done a good job of yielding the decision-making to the Lord. If it is not my battle, I am not the decision-maker. It's the Lord's battle. He makes the decision. God says to me, Trevor, stand down. Stand down. I will take it from here. You just simply obey me and follow my instruction. The battle is mine. I will make the decisions. Judges 7, 15 to 22. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of... How am I doing on time? 
Okay. I told people I'd be 45 minutes, and so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm getting tight on time. <laughs> and so it was when Gideon heard, so this is Judges 7, 15 to 22, and so it was. When Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, that he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet into every man's hand with an empty pitcher and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, as they had, just as they had posted the watch, and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpet and broke the pitchers, and they held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the three hundred blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. Victory. Victory. If it's not our battle, we surrender. We surrender it. We don't try to fight it. We don't try to make our own decisions. It's not our fight. We are participants, certainly. We go through the experience, certainly. But it's not our fight. We are not the decision maker. I am not the decision maker. I struggle with myself. I struggle with this the most. Truly surrendering the challenge or the difficulty to the Lord and getting out of the way and standing ready to follow the next instruction. So here are some of the most important questions. Okay? How do we know what to do? How do we know what our next step is in our battle? How do we know what the Lord's mind is in our particular situation? How do we make sure that we have the Lord's mind in the battle, not our own? How do we make sure we are simply a vessel taking instruction from the Lord and not making our own decisions with our own natural minds? I've got no answers. But Brother Andy's article has lots of answers to those questions. There is no room, brothers and sisters, for our own thinking or actions in the Lord's battle. If it truly is the Lord's battle, we yield, we step back, and we follow. 
So, just a question. How did Gideon know? How did Gideon know to divide the company into three camps, 100 here, 100 here, 100 here, take a trumpet, a pitcher, and a torch? Like, I don't think that's in the... That's not a chapter in the army playbook, right? How did he know? The only indication that I see is in Judges 7 and 15. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. That's it. That he worshipped. And then he came and he gave the instructions. That's the only insight that I, that I, I see. I like to think that that he worshipped for Gideon was kneeling before the Lord and saying, I followed you every step. I've obeyed everything you've said. I can't take the chance that I'm making my own decision at this point. I need you. I need to know what the next step is. And I will do it, whatever it is. I like this example on this topic. I like this example of Gideon. Because I don't get the sense at any point... He is trying to make his own decisions. Yet he has plenty of opportunity to step in and decide something. He looks for the Lord's decision step by step at each point until the victory is achieved. He gets con- There's three spots where he gets confirmation to say, Is this your mind? Is this really the voice of the Lord? And three confirmations. Yes. 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 I don't know what your battles are. I know some of them are very difficult. All of us have some of them. It occurs to me that God gives us a choice in this. He says, Trevor, you you can do it on your own. With your own experience, your own thinking, your own decision-making ability. Or, you can surrender it to me. And I will fight the battle on your behalf. I will do it for you. The Lord, I'm speaking to my, like I'm speaking to myself here more than anyone. The Lord wants to fight my battles. He wants me to release them to Him. But will I step aside, surrender 
my wonderful decision-making ability and obey his voice? Will I decide to invest the time and energy to really hear his voice? To know what the next instruction from the Lord is. Because it will take time and it will take energy of us seeking and praying. And once again, Brother Andy's article, that's exactly what it's on. I think we are pretty good at bringing our needs unto the Lord. Every Sunday, every Wednesday night, and asking for prayer. I do not think I'm nearly as good at determining what the Lord's decision is in my battle. What his instruction is in my particular situation. And brothers and sisters, we have to get good at this. We have to get good at this. The path we are on, the path that God has for the many-membered body of Christ has many battles that need to be fought and many enemies that need to be defeated. And not one of us will make a scratch in that battle or in that enemy with our own thinking and our own ability. Sickness and disease will yield to the church of the living God. Division and bitterness will yield. Disorder and confusion will yield. These things, all of these battles, these struggles that we face are within our grasp if the battle is the Lord's and not ours. Praise the Lord. If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.